Well, we are finishing up uh, this morning our, our series on being transformed uh, by the gospel. And as we've been looking at John 15, is kind of our anchor passage in that. Uh, I want us to, to just wrap this up with a, with a key question, because in some sense it's a foundational question uh, that if we don't have uh, uh, the right answer to this question, uh, then we're going to struggle uh, to be really, truly transformed by the gospel. And the question is simply this, how can I know? that I am truly saved? How can I know that I, that I am truly in a right relationship with God? And that question shows forth in, in lots of different kind of sub-questions or scenarios or situations. It's the person who asks, I think I was saved as a child or as a student, maybe at a, at a camp or a Bible school or a home or whatever, but now I'm not so sure. I mean, was I really saved? Did I know enough at that time? For some, it's perhaps a child or a grandchild, a spouse, a friend. Someone that says to you, well, I, I made a decision. I walked an aisle. I joined a church. I was baptized or whatever it might be. But as you look at their life today, there's no real evidence that they're walking with God. We talk about once saved, always saved. Does that apply to them? Or maybe on a personal level, we feel this question becomes real when we're going through a season and we have doubts, maybe out of, out of our pain or our life experience or just questions. And we wonder, can I have these doubts? and genuinely be saved. Or maybe it's a struggle with sin, and we seem to just continue to struggle, maybe even in a particular area, and we wonder, am I really saved? And then times we, we look at our life and we think, I, I don't think I'm good enough. I don't think I'm good enough to be saved or to have been saved. What's wrong? Or maybe it looks like I know in my head all the right answers, but I don't feel forgiven. I don't feel like I've been fully forgiven by God. Maybe I didn't do it right. And the scenarios could go on and on and on. When we think about assurance of our relationship with God, of our salvation, I think we can think in terms of uh, three types of assurance. Uh, the first is an undermined assurance. An undermined assurance. This is, this is someone that is genuinely in this right relationship with God, but uh, the, the situations of life or the whispers of the enemy have, have caused doubt to creep in. And the enemy loves to create doubt because if there is doubt about our relationship with God, we're not going to make much progress in being transformed by the gospel. If we don't have an assurance of the gospel in our lives, we won't experience much much transformation of the gospel and by the gospel throughout our lives. And so there's an undermined assurance. But there's also, maybe on the far other end of the spectrum, would be an undeserved assurance. 
an undeserved assurance. This is someone that has a, a certain level of assurance, but it's really not justified. It's undeserved. They're, they're thinking, well, I, I, I you know, walked an aisle, or I prayed a prayer, or I raised my hand, or I winked at the evangelist, or you know, filled out a card, or whatever, whatever it was uh, at their particular time, and they think, well, I did that back then. It is an undeserved assurance. It's not evidence, perhaps, in a life now of any genuine life change. But what God desires for you and I is not to struggle with an undeserved assurance or to have an undermined assurance, but to live our lives in full assurance, a full assurance of our relationship with God. In John 15, uh, he puts it this way in verse 9. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. And then he goes on to say, abide in my love. Abide in my love, abide, remain in my love, make your home at, in my love, that he wants us to operate out of a sense that we know we are at home in, we remain in, we, we are just saturated in his love. We have a full assurance of his, his love for us and our acceptance in Christ Jesus. John not only wrote this gospel, but he wrote several letters, some of which are preserved in our New Testament. In one of those letters we now call first John, toward the end of the New Testament, he wrote these words, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, here's his purpose in writing, that you may know, that you may know that you have eternal life, that he doesn't want us to have a false assurance, undeserved, or he doesn't want us to live with an undermined assurance, but to live in full assurance. Charles Stanley put it this way, where there is uncertainty concerning how salvation is attained, there will be confusion over whether it can be maintained. When there is confusion, and this is where a lot of it sometimes comes in, when we're confused about how we actually obtain salvation, how we get rightly connected to God, there will always be uncertainty and confusion over whether it can be maintained. And so as we've been saying over and over and over again in this series, let us remind ourselves of the basics. Uh, It's summed up by Paul in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. It is by grace through faith, not of yourselves, not as a result of works. There is no room for boasting. William Hendrickson defines grace this way. God's grace is his active favor, bestowing the greatest gift upon those who deserve the greatest punishment. And then when I recognize I deserve because of my rebellion, because of my choosing my way over God's way, because of pushing God to the periphery of my life, trying to use God instead of love and serve God, I have deserved the greatest punishment, separation from God now and for all eternity. But God in grace did for me what I could not do for myself, that Jesus Christ came and lived the life that I was called to live. He died the death I deserved to die. He was buried. He is resurrected. He's ascended to the Father and is coming back again someday. And he did all of that 
so that he could offer to us a, a way, a way for my sin to be forgiven, the barrier to be removed, for me to be reconciled back to the Father. And th- this is the grace. This is what transforms our lives. So at its core, salvation is my response. It's when I respond to God's provision through Jesus Christ by turning from sin and in repentance and turning to Christ in faith. Turning from sin in repentance and turning to Christ in faith. I turn away from a self-directed, self-controlled life, and I turn and I place my faith and trust, not in my uh, resolution to do better or my morality or my religion, but in the completed, finished work of Jesus Christ. Now, with that in mind, I want to kind of drive this home. When we think about this turn, turning from sin and turning to Christ. I want to talk about it in terms of a posture of our life. And I've shared this with with groups. I've shared this one-on-one with individuals. And I, I just pray that it's going to be helpful to somebody here today. There's only one posture that's ever appropriate toward Christ. And that is surrender to his lordship and trusting in what he did for me. That's the posture of my life. Not earning something, but surrendered. Surrendered to his lordship and trusting in what he did for me. And a lot of times when I'm talking about this, I use something like a chair. So let me just pull this over since everybody else is sitting down. I'll join you here. When you think about a chair, and You may know more about chairs than I'll ever know. You may know all about how they're constructed. Some of you could probably do some research and find out where they were manufactured and the materials that were used. And Some of you might even be analytical enough to do, do some, some charting and understand the strength of the material that's used. And, and intellectually, you would know without a shadow of a doubt that that chair could support your weight, right? You might even come up and inspect it and make sure everything's tight. And for a lot of people, that's what they understand as belief. That's what they understand to be faith. I believe that chair could hold me up. I have faith that it is strong enough to hold my weight. But that's not how the New Testament talks about faith. That's not how the Scripture talks about faith. Faith is trust. Faith is a posture of my life. And the only appropriate posture is surrendered to His Lordship and trusting in what He did for me. When do I exercise faith in this chair when I transfer the weight of my body from my feet to this chair? When do I exercise faith in Christ? When I transfer any hope that I have for forgiveness of sin and reconciliation with God from my religion, my morality, my good works, my own feet to the finished, completed work of Jesus Christ. The only appropriate posture is surrender to his lordship and trusting in what he did for me.
Now, here's where this ties into assurance. Here's the phrase I want you to get. Okay, the fact is I gave the first service a pop quiz at the end, so I'm going to go ahead and tell you on the front end, all right? Here's the phrase. Present posture is more important than past memory. My present posture is more important than past memory. When it comes to answering that question, how can I know if I'm truly saved? How can I know if I'm in a right relationship with God? Present posture is far, 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 far more important than past memory. So let's go back to the types of assurance. When we think about uh, those who, who have an undermined assurance. Very often when I talk with folks, sometimes along the way they, they start to feel bad because they say, I, I, I don't know. I don't know like an exact moment when I came to Christ. And I heard a preacher, I heard a teacher, somebody said, my friend said, or this evangelist said, he said, you got to know, you got to know the exact moment when you stepped across that line of faith or you're not genuinely saved. Of course, the problem with that is some of the greatest followers of Christ in the history of the church couldn't tell you exactly the moment they were saved. So your present posture is more important than your past memory. Your memory of that exact moment of when you transferred. You can be sitting in a chair and not know the exact moment that you transferred your weight from your feet to that chair, right? And you're you're sitting in a chair and some of you, if I ask you, down to the second, do you know when you sat in that chair? You wouldn't know. Now, for some of you, you'd say, well, it was after the service started. I know that. You know, that's when I generally make it to the chair, right? Just say, just say. But that's not the, the important question. The important question is, what is your present posture? Because present posture is more important than past memory. Let's go the other way. People who have an undeserved assurance. There are people who are thinking about, well, I remember when. I'm okay with God because I walked an aisle. I prayed a prayer. I filled out a card. I was baptized. I was confirmed. I got a certificate. I memorized this verse, whatever it is. And they have this past memory. But present posture is more important than past memory. What is the present posture of my life? There's only one posture that's appropriate. Surrender to the Lordship of Jesus Christ and trusting in what He did for me. You know, as I've thought about this through the years, sometimes people feel guilty, and maybe you're, some of you are that way. It's kind of like, man, I, I, don't, I don't have a real dramatic testimony. <laughs> you know, it's kind of like, you know, I, Paul got struck down by the light and stuff, or I hear this testimony of this person, they were on drugs and all this stuff, and then they just turned their life around, and, and I, don't, I don't have that, and I just kind of wonder sometimes, is, is something wrong with me? 
And listen, I am thrilled. Those are some powerful testimonies. And praise God that he can rescue people out of some ugly, ugly situations, right? But you know what I have concluded as a parent? You know what I've concluded now as a grandparent? I don't want my children or grandchildren to have a dramatic testimony. All right? I am praying that they'll have a boring testimony. I am praying that from their youngest years, they will know that the only appropriate posture is to be surrendered to his lordship and trusting in what he did for me. Now, that doesn't mean that there doesn't come a time where they, they have to transfer their weight. I can't sit in the chair for them. But I, I, I just pray, and, and that's why we invest so much in preschool and children and student ministries. Because we want them to know from the beginning that the only appropriate posture is surrender to his lordship and trusting in what he did for me. Because your present posture is more important than your past memory. And when you understand that, it gives you a way to navigate between undeserved assurance and undermined assurance and to begin to live with a full assurance in what Jesus Christ has done. But now you may be thinking, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. I hear all this stuff about grace and faith and trusting and all of that. But doesn't the Bible say something about like faith and works and faith without works is dead? Absolutely it does. James is all over that. So also faith by itself, he wrote, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, does that just like undermine everything I was just talking about? I mean, are Paul and, and James kind of speaking about two different things? No. They're not talking about two different things. They're just focusing on different aspects of the same thing. Together, what they're saying is we're saved by grace alone through faith alone, but faith that saves is never alone. It is by grace alone through faith alone. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. I can't work hard enough for it. But when I have adopted that posture of surrender to his lordship and, and, and trusting in his completed work, that faith, that posture is never alone. That faith starts to show forth in my life. Let me get, try to give you an example. Let's go back to biology class somewhere, maybe in middle school or wherever it was. And maybe somewhere along the way, somewhere in the recesses of your mind, somebody uh, taught you that when it comes to determining whether an organism has life or not, there are certain characteristics that you can look for. Motion, reproduction, sensitivity, excretion, respiration, consumption, and growth. These are seven characteristics of living things. 
And in order to say that an organism is alive, some, if not all of those characteristics will show up. You'd be able to kind of see them demonstrated in this life. In much the same way, what James is saying to us, if I have adopted a posture of surrender to his lordship and trusting in his completed work, there are going to be signs. There are going to be evidences of new life or eternal life in Jesus Christ. That's why John wrote the letter that we now know as 1 John in our New Testament. 1 John, he talks about some of these signs, these evidences of new life or eternal life in Christ. And so what I want to do for the rest of our time this morning, I'm just going to run through these very, very quickly. We're going to give you 10 on the fly. And what we've done is included the the scripture reference. All of these are from 1 John alongside the statement. And I'm not going to take time to read all these verses this morning, but I give these to you as I hope a resource. I just want to encourage you in the week ahead just to take that, this note-taking guide, keep it close at hand, and maybe just spend some time, just look through. Maybe you just want to do one a day or a couple a day and just look up those verses and just say, God, show me what this looks like in my life. Lord, just show me this, where this evidence is showing up, or maybe, maybe I need to grow uh, in this particular area of my life, all right? So, 10 signs of new life or eternal life in Christ. Let's go. Number one, am I enjoying fellowship with God, the Father, and Jesus Christ? He talks about one of the marks is, I have this fellowship, there's this relationship, there's this connection, and so do I have this sense that I am enjoying fellowship, I am enjoying community, I am enjoying a relationship with God the Father and with Jesus Christ is one of the first evidences of this new or eternal life. Secondly, am I increasingly sensitive to sin? Am I increasingly sensitive to sin? And if you've been with us in this series, you've seen that diagram. We've used it several times, uh, kind of the the, the widening arrows and the cross getting bigger and bigger and bigger, that as we continue to grow in Christ, that our awareness of God's holiness increases, as does our awareness of our sinfulness. And so, as I've said to you in this series, and by the way, so many of these signs are exactly what we've been talking about throughout this series. Uh, But as I talked to you earlier in this series, there are things now that the Holy Spirit pricks my conscience about that didn't really disturb me five or ten years ago. And that is how it should be. Because we have a growing sensitivity to sin. As he peels back kind of the layers of our life, he shows us them. What an act of grace that he doesn't show it all to us at one time, right? I mean, man, we'd be overwhelmed, right? But he he graciously pulls back those layers of our life, and, and he helps us to have an increasing sensitivity to sin. Number three. Am I growing in obedience to God's Word? We looked uh, just uh, last uh, week or so uh, about, if you love me, 
you will keep my commandments. And so I ask, is, is that evidenced in my life? Is there a growing obedience to God's Word? Uh, none of us is perfect. We're still in process. It's about the direction of my life. But is there evidence? Does it show up that I have a growing obedience to God's Word? That more and more, as God shows me things through His Word, I come under the authority of His Word. I conform my life to his word. And a parallel uh, sign with that is, am I more and more rejecting the values of this world? More and more am I rejecting the values of this world. And so he goes to warn us, do not love the world or the things of this world. And talks about the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eye, the pride of life, all of those things. So I, I begin to understand, I don't live in a morally neutral environment. I live in an environment that at times is, is just the antithesis of what God calls me to be and do. And so from time to time, I have to reject the values of this world. Is that happening in my life? Am I more and more rejecting the values of this world? doesn't mean we don't use technology or any of those things. It just means, am I more and more rejecting the values of this world? Fifth, am I seeing a decreasing pattern of sin in my life? There's one thing to have a sensitivity to sin, but do I see some areas where, you know, this has less dominion over me than it used to? Scripture says, for sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but you are under grace. Is that being evidenced in my life? Can the people that live with me, can the people that know me best, could they see there are some things different about me? There are some things that, oh, that God is progressively setting me free from that dominion in my life. Am I seeing a decreasing pattern of sin in my life? Number six, do I have a growing love for other Christians? Do I have a growing love for other Christians? Again, we've looked at that in this series. New commandment I give to you, that you love one another, even as I have loved you. Do we have that, that growing love for the family of God? And now, I, I, I know, I get it. I, I've heard all the jokes, probably said them to myself. You know, sometimes people say, well, the church would be great if it wasn't for all the people, right? You know, I mean, that happens. Sometimes it's like, oh, man, really? Uh, you know, I mean, there's a challenge sometimes, right? Real life with real people because they're just like us. They got real stuff, right? But even with all that, does my life evidence a growing love for other Christians? Am I being progressively set free from selfishness and self-centeredness to have a growing love for other Christians? Number seven, do I ever encounter hatred or suffering because of my faith? Do I ever encounter hatred or suffering because of my faith? John talks about it there in chapter 3. Jesus talked about it all the time. If the world hates you, he said, keep in mind that it hated me first. And if you're following him, why would we be surprised that we don't experience some hatred, some rejection, some social isolation along the way? 
in John 17, that high priestly prayer is part of that, that upper room discourse. I have given them your word, he prayed to his father, and the world has hated them. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. That's the most loving, the most truthful, the most submitted to the Father of any human being that ever walked the face of the earth was Jesus Christ. And if they treated him with derision, with mocking, with hatred, Jesus said, why would you expect that if you follow after me, that you will not experience the same? Now, please hear me. I'm, I'm not saying if you're arrogant or rude and somebody pushes back on you that you're being persecuted for Christ. No, you're being pushed back on because you're arrogant and rude, right? That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about, there are times when to stand for Christ is to stand against the world. And that may have some blowback. And some of you have experienced that personally. And we're so blessed in this country, we, we still have tremendous freedoms. But you've experienced it. You've experienced it on the job. You've experienced it in, the, in school. You've experienced it in friendship circles. It is one of the signs of new life in Christ. Let's keep going. Number eight. Am I progressively more able to discern between spiritual truth and error? And so John encourages us to test the spirits because in this world in which we live, not everything that purports to be true is true. Not everything that purports to be true, even with a little religion and God talk attached to it, is true, right? And so I'm just going to be really, really honest with you, and we'll, we'll touch on some of this in an upcoming series here. Uh, but I think we have, we have widespread in our culture right now, I think, a dire need for discernment when it comes to this whole idea of a prosperity gospel. And I think there are folks who had twisted some scripture to make it fit the American dream instead of make it fit Jesus Christ. And people are buying into that by the droves. Followers of Jesus Christ are more and more progressively able to discern between spiritual truth and error. They have a heightened sensitivity. So they become more and more under the authority of God's Word. More and more, they have a sensitivity to those things that are outside the parameters of God's Word. Please hear me. I'm not saying that you need to go around and be like this, this you know, doctrinal witch hunt, that you're just looking for somebody that's just got one little speck of their theology off target. Not talking about that at all. There's room where we just give each other some wobble room, right, on some secondary, third-level issues. But am I more and more able to discern between spiritual truth and error? Number nine, am I experiencing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life? 
that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. When we come to Him, that He has given us, He says in verse 13, of His Spirit. That we have the Holy Spirit operative in us. And, and again, this is one of those themes throughout the New Testament. Jesus promised us the Holy Spirit. But the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. Are you experiencing that? All right, when, you, when you come to, to read God's Word, are you experiencing that quickening of the Holy Spirit that you just sense God's Spirit takes that and, and gives you insight and makes application, pushes in hard into your life from some of those areas. You know, when you're in a moment, you're, you're, you're with somebody, you're dealing with a circumstance or a situation, do you sense that ministry of the Holy Spirit bringing to you to your mind a scripture or a scriptural truth or principle uh, that this is, this is how I need to operate in this moment? That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And of course, it shows up in the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are evidences. These are marks of those whose life has been remade and recreated and reconnected to God. We display the fruit of the Spirit. We talked a little bit about that again earlier in this series. One more. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And as we, as we looked in this series about, about we're, we're transformed and we're transformed in part for a mission. And, and that we, you and I, are, have been empowered to witness. And we do it differently. We, it looks differently. It comes through our unique personalities. But the ministry of the Holy Spirit empowers us to share the love and the truth of Jesus Christ. Am I seeing evidence of the ministry of the Holy Spirit in my life? One more. Number 10. Am I seeing God's activity in answer to my prayers? Am I seeing God's activity in answer to my prayers? In John's gospel, Jesus said, and I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Now, there, there's tons to unpack there. We don't have time to do that all this morning. But let me just say this way. Do you see a connection between your prayers and what God's doing in the world? And sometimes that's in what God does out there. But very often it's what God does in here. And as you come and you cry out to God, perhaps God changes a circumstance, but perhaps he changes you in the midst of that circumstance. He shapes your character. He changes your perspective. He softens a heart or works off a rough edge. Are you seeing God's activity in answer to your prayers? Now, I'm not suggesting that's the only ten evidences of new or eternal life. And I suggest to you it's a pretty good place to start. As you just take that letter of 1 John and you say, are these showing up in my life? Because if my posture is one of being surrendered to Christ and trusting in his provision, signs of life are going to show up. They're going to show up. Sometimes it's three steps forward and two steps back. It's not just like a straight line always up and to the right. 
But these signs, these evidences show up. And so we come toward the end of that letter and we find these words. And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his son. It's found nowhere else. He who has the son has the life. He who does not have the son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. He wrote these things so that you and I would have full assurance. And so to tie this together, let me encourage you as you reflect on your relationship with Christ to just ask a few questions. The first is simply this. Am I presently in a posture of surrender and trust toward Jesus Christ? As I honestly look at my life, not perfectly, but is that the posture of my life? Surrender to his lordship and trusting in his provision. Am I persevering in that posture? Not perfectly, but is that the direction, the bent of my life? So that it's not just a posture I adopt on Sunday morning, like I get dressed to come to church, I say, well, let's put on this posture today. But it is the defining pattern of my life. Surrender to his lordship. Trusting in his provision. Thirdly, am I exhibiting signs of a new life in Christ? Are those evidences there? When I begin to see those things lined up, then I can begin to operate with a full assurance. And as God does that in my life, I ought to also ask, who can I share this with? Because there are, listen, there are followers of Jesus Christ who not, are not experiencing everything that God has for them because they live with an undermined assurance. And maybe God wants you to help them. That there, there are followers of f- folks who claim the name of Christ who have an undeserved assurance. And maybe God would have you to be an instrument in their life. And there are those who don't even know their need for assurance, for a Savior. Maybe God wants to use you in their life. Present posture is more important than past memory. And the only appropriate posture toward God is surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ because he's the one who has the right to rule and his rule is always right and trusting in his provision, the completed work of Jesus Christ. And so here's what I want to say to you today. If you're here in this moment 
and you're not sure that that's the posture of your life, regardless of what your past memory is or isn't, then before you leave this room today, would you allow us to come alongside you and continue this conversation? We want you to live with the freedom, the joy of full assurance that's only found in Jesus Christ. And in just a few moments, we're going to close our service, and I'm just going to encourage you to make your way back to that next steps area, and there's going to be some folks that are just going to hang out there for the sole purpose of being available to you today because we want you to live with a full assurance that's only found in Jesus Christ. Maybe out of your relationship with Christ, there's some specific next steps to be baptized, to get connected to a group, to formally become a member of this fellowship. Whatever it is, that next steps area can help you out. But today, our hope and prayer is that every person in this place would be able to live their life with a full assurance, an assurance not based on their performance, but based on the fact that they are living in a posture surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, trusting in his perfect provision through Christ Jesus. Because your present posture is always going to be more important than your past memory. Let's go to the Lord together in prayer, please. Oh, Father, thank you for your awesome provision in Jesus Christ. And thank you, Father, that you... you have provided for us that you don't want us to flounder, you don't want us to to wonder, but you desire for us to live a life of full assurance, fully assured of your love for us, to remain, to abide in your love. And Father, that it is from that platform of assurance that we go on to experience all the transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, Lord, today... We just open up our life to you. We don't want any games. We don't want any put on. We just want to be right with you. So, Father, would you show us? Would you show us our present posture? Would you show us those areas where you're still at work? growing us, conforming us to the image of your Son, Christ Jesus. Lord, there's some in this room right now that you've brought for this very moment. Lord, today, let them adopt a posture of surrender and trust. Father, there are some that need an assurance that regardless of their past memory, that their present posture is right with you. Would you set them free from the accusations of the enemy? Father, there may be some in this room right now that have a false assurance. Breakthrough. Breakthrough. Father, this week, teach us to live as those fully surrendered, to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, fully trusting in His perfect provision. For it's in His name that we do pray. Amen.
I want to invite you to stand with us if you would, please. We're going to